are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. I'm encouraged to be here. In a lot of ways, um, I'm planting a church because of the faithfulness of you guys, right? As Josh said, um, I'm the second church planner to come out of the well, and Josh and Rachel have really paved the way for the opportunity for my family to plant in the domain, right? And because here's the thing, right? Josh was kind of the experiment. He was the firstborn. He was the experiment. They, they got all the kinks out, and I'm able to reap the benefits of by being the younger son. And man, I'm just super thankful uh, to Refuge Church and excited to see what God is doing and will be doing in your church here in South South Austin. Man, I have a deep love for Josh. Uh, we always joke that Josh is my, like my long last uh, Mexican brother, uh, my Mexican twin, actually. Like, uh, we have the same interest in, in, in food and Jays, and uh, we have two kids, uh, two dogs, same sense of humor, uh, similar backgrounds. Like, every single time, it's like, bro, you like that? Oh, I like that, too. And, like, it's just, it's just mad love when I'm, whenever I'm with Josh. And, man, God has really molded our hearts together as we are church planters as well. And I hope as a congregation that you guys are actually really, really, really interceding and praying for my brother. That you guys are really praying for Josh, Rachel, and, and, and his children. That you guys will take commitments to set alarms praying for him. That you guys would encourage him and cheer him on. And man, I got to spend a couple days, maybe a month ago with my brother. And here's the thing, right? There's two things that he just does not shut up about. And it's almost annoying, Right? The first thing he talks about is his family. He loves his family. It's like, Josh, I get it. You have a dope family. <laughs> Got it, bro. Awesome. But the second thing that he just will not stop talking about is you guys. And every single time he talks about you guys, he's in tears. And there's joy. And there's a smile. And every single time he does that, I'm so deeply encouraged. It encourages me uh, to love even my congregation in the way that he loves y'all. So, man, I hope you guys are praying for him. I hope you guys are following his leadership. I hope you guys are cheering him on. I'm the guest preacher that gets to talk about that. And, man, you guys love on him. Love on that family. Um, and, man, um, I know you guys are in a series in Galatians, and Josh had asked me to continue the series on what it means to have freedom through Christ, and that this book is actually concerned about what is the true gospel. How, as a church, do we have the freedom to live in the power of the gospel? How does Refuge Church live in the freedom of the power of the gospel. And I want to ask you guys that question. Do you live in freedom? Because here's the reality. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, the power and the freedom of the gospel is something that is uncomfortable for us to live in. Right? As Sean said last week, we always want to add what Jesus plus something. And the gospel is, is Christ, what, plus nothing. There's nothing that we add to the gospel. Sean was breaking it down last week. I, I did listen to your sermon. Uh, and, 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 and sees this journey of faith that begins to unfold. And what is happening is that things that he's defining his life and worth to be in begin to unfold. And he, as he committed his life to Jesus, as he begins to realize that it's not Jesus plus something, but it's Jesus and what? That's enough. 
And that Paul is beginning to lay the foundation of the gospel of the church in Galatians. And this is what is happening. That Paul in Galatians chapter 1 through 2 is clearly defining what is the gospel. That's what his his focus is. What is the gospel in chapters 1 and 2? And then in chapters 3 and 4, Paul is showing how this plays out in the Old Testament. Right? That the form that the Old Testament would, uh, because of what Jesus has done, it has come to fulfillment in the life and the work of Jesus. And then in chapter 5 and 6, Paul explains how the gospels lived out and worked out. And today we're in chapter 2 as uh, we just read, and this is the heart of what Paul's message is about. Galatians 2 is actually the summary of the whole book. So I'm, I'm, thank you, Josh, for giving me the best chapter. And what I want to challenge us as a church is to begin to unpack and ask this question. What defines you guys? What defines you as a person? What defines you as a person? Especially more so today than ever, we are in this era where we are really questioning what is our identity. And because of COVID and everything happening in the world, the more so than ever, if we are not sure of who we are in God, we begin to lose the very mission of God that God has called us to do. In a lot of ways, when we are looking at our own hearts and asking, where is your identity found in, that if we are in Christ, that our identity is not defined by a question mark, but is actually defined by a period. Did you guys get that? You may ask, who am I? Your life and your identity is not a question mark, but it's defined by a period or an explanation point, meaning that if you are in Christ, you can be confident in who you are as a child of God, that you, son and daughter, are now justified. It cannot be taken away from you. The verdict is in, and the love of Christ and the blood of Christ is washed over you. And the question I want to ask you is this. Do you live in the freedom and the work of Jesus Christ because your identity is found in him? That's my three points. We're gonna, I'm, a, I'm a Presbyterian preacher. I do three points. Gospel freedom and identity. A gospel freedom in community that gives us the gospel power and mission. Okay, Gospel freedom and identity. Um, gospel freedom in community, and gospel power in mission. So gospel freedom in identity. Man, um, this is a crazy story. So uh, in seminary, I went to Gordon-Conwell, which is in Massachusetts. And um, while I was in seminary, um, I was a very good student. No, actually, I wasn't. Um, (laughs) I I played a lot of basketball, did a lot of games, and hung out with a lot of people. Uh, But there was this one day where this impossible final began to happen in one of my OT classes. So the professor comes up, and he gives us the study guide, and it's like an impossible final. Now, I'm looking at the study guide, and I'm like, gosh, like, there's no way I'm going to memorize, like, who is the daughter of the king of, of, of blah, 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 blah. Like, how do I know the whole genealogy? I, I, there's no way. So I look at this final, and I'm like, okay, you know what? I didn't, I didn't miss a class. I didn't do anything. You know, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to study one hour, and you know what, whatever happens, it happens. Like, I'm just, it is what it is, right? And I actually think there was a Broncos game on a Sunday, and the test was on Monday. I'm a Denver fan, so I see you guys. I see y'all. Um, and, you know, so I, I did the best I could, kind of went in, and was like, I'm just going to take this final. Now, I have my friend and my roommate who actually did the opposite. 
And he was actually studying to do PhD, and he needed this A in this class so that my friend, like, legitimately did not eat, did not sleep. Like, he just studied his butt off. Like, all day, all night, like, I'm, like, sleeping and looking at him, watching the Broncos game, cheering, and he's just studying away. And we get to the final on, the day, on Monday, and the professor comes up, and he's, like, empty-handed. He's, like, empty-handed, and he comes up to the front, and he looks at the class, and he goes, class, you guys have been faithful. You guys have been good. Here's the thing. You guys, there's no final. Y'all all get A's. Yeah, boy, right? And I started celebrating because I was like, yes, come on, right? And the result of it was an A, and here's the thing. Like, I was celebrating, going out, like, about to go eat and do all these things. The Broncos have won. It was during Tebow time, so I was, like, even more excited. And, like, it was awesome. I was like, praise the Lord, like, and, you know, came out, went into my room, and my friend looked at me, and he had this glaring look at me. And here's the thing. It's like, man, he wasn't able to appreciate the A. Because in his heart, he says, man, I've, I, I studied and I've earned something. And, but think about that. The result is the same. The result is the same. We both receive grace. He probably got a grade better than even if he took the test. But yet he felt like he had earned something. And that is kind of what is the fundamental issue of what's happening in the Galatian church. Here are people who are saying that you have to achieve or do something in order to receive grace. That there needs to be works. And here specific is Jesus plus culture. So we see Apostle Paul here who's going back into Jerusalem because in verse 4 it says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped into um, to spy out our freedom. And in other words, he's going because there is a false brothers who were infiltrating the church and stirring up false controversy. And on one hand, you have Paul who's preaching a message that says mandating their culture and saying you need to become Jewish to show that you are now in this family. And they do it in the most brutal way by saying that you need to be circumcised. I don't know about you, but no, I'm just kidding. I was going to say something bad. <laughs> and it's kind of like me saying this, right? If you believe in Jesus, if you really, really believe in Jesus, and you really, really are Christian, then you would wear J's. J's or Jordans, I don't know if you all know. You would have to buy a pair of J's. That's the only way you can be Christian. That's how silly it is. Now, Paul is concerned about what is happening that is so false that he travels all the way to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles. And verse 4, 6, it says this, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you and, and from those who seem to be influential that they... Uh, were make no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential add, added nothing to me. And here's the thing, right? Paul feels like he needs to address the issue because what angered him is that he understood that the authenticity of the gospel being played out in someone's life is the freedom that it produces. You see that? Not Jesus plus something, 
But the authenticity of the gospel being played out in your life is the freedom that it produces. Meaning what makes Christianity unique and different than any other religion is that it is nothing that we achieve for salvation. It is everything that, like the laws that highlighted our sin, the Old Testament laws that you Jewish people are talking about. These customs were a symbol of our separation with God. But because of the work of Jesus and mission he accomplished by dying for us, we now walk in freedom. The gospel says these laws and customs point to Jesus, that it's Jesus who sacrificed once and for all on the Christ. There's nothing else that is needed. The only thing that is required from us is what is nothing. This means, this means, church, that we are not good enough. There's nothing we have to do or can do for our salvation. In fact, here's the thing. The only thing that you bring to your salvation is your sin. Now, you may be sitting here and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's discouraging. Like, yeah, I'm not good enough. But, it, but here's the thing, right? It doesn't, because it doesn't discourage you because it drives us what to understand grace. It drives us to the cross and the work of Jesus. Meaning, if we are in Christ, we no longer need to perform that we have to be better, but our identity is formed as children of God. And that's the freedom that we get to live in. My son Ezekiel, like I said, he's the chubbiest, biggest boy that I've ever met. In fact, my arms are always tired carrying this boy. He's, he's 10 months, 30 pounds, right? He's, in fact, he's, hundredth, he's above the 100th percentile. Like, he's off the charts in weight, right? So they just say he's 99th percentile, but that's above, right? And he's 90th percentile in height. So he's a big, big boy. And, but the thing is, he's the most cuddly, like, awesome kid. He is so confident in himself. And, and, and here's the thing, right? Zeke needs to, all he needs to do is receive care. All he needs to do is receive care. He cries because he just wants to be cared for. He wants to be fed and, 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 and cared for. And here's the thing. Babies, in some senses, are free. He is so confident in our love for him that all he does is he wants to cuddle and be with us. And babies, in some senses, they are true in their nature because they just want to receive. He doesn't need to prove anything to me. He, he's not at an age where my four-year-old, he wants to prove everything to me, Right? Yeah, let me like, let me show you this. Let me do this. But my son Ezekiel, man, he just open arms, just receives my love. There's ease with him, and they, babies, in some senses, their true nature. And the gospel brings peace. It says that yes, we are not good enough, but we have Christ, and because of the work that He has done, we now live in freedom. Do you perform because you feel like you need to earn, or do you live in freedom in the identity that Christ has done on the cross is enough? And the power is that now as God's children, you father, there's an immediate joy that we now get the freedom of being with God through Jesus and freedom in how you relate to yourselves and freedom in God. The gospel is free in our identity. You see that? Yeah, y'all? Man, here's the thing. We have to endure this. And the reason why I'm actually church planting is, man, Asian Americans in a lot of ways I was never able to embrace my culture. I was never able to embrace my culture. 
back in the day in, in Denver and growing up in Denver, and at home, they would be Korean, and they would mandate all these Korean rituals and, 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 and culture. And then on the other hand, I'm growing up in, in Aurora, which is a really ghetto town, where they're looking at me and they're saying, like, man, your, your Korean or your Asian-ness is, is weird. And it's crazy because, like, have you guys seen Fresh Off the Boat, Eddie Huang? Like, that's my childhood, right? And in it, like, you see this guy, that, this kid that is bringing, like, an awesome lunchbox, like Korean barbecue, right? So I'm bringing Korean barbecue in, in my lunch and, and, and going to the cafeteria, and I have those seaweed, seaweed uh, uh, papers. It's called keem. I don't know what it's in English. And, and I'm eating those things, and I used to get made fun of for eating those. They'd be like, oh, that's seaweed, that's gross. And I literally would have to get in fights and, and because, because people would not accept my culture. And it's so wild to me because, like, those are in now. Like, everybody be eating those. I always had to adapt. I always had to change. As Asians, I always asked to adapt. And for the longest time, I listened to the lie that says to really be accepted, I need to shed off my Asianness. And become someone who I'm not. And the point that Paul is getting at is there is now freedom in who you are culturally that really begins to magnify the beauty of God. That you, Refuge Church, are able to be the community that God has called you to be and your identity of self is set free and also your cultural identity is free as well. Meaning we now have the freedom to bring my Asian culture to bring the black culture, to bring the white culture, to bring the Hispanic culture into this church family. And the gospel says there's no part of yourself that needs to be checked at the door where you have to adapt to another culture in order to enter into this family. Do you see that? There's freedom. Paul is pressing on the Gentiles that they can be themselves and in that there is joy in the unification and freedom of the church. That they're able to see Christ more clearly in each other, Jew and Gentile. That there's beauty to the rituals of the Jews who have historical background of God working through his people. And through that, the church sees Christ. But there's also beauty to the Gentiles who did not grow up in the church, did not know, grow up knowing God, but through one man and the work of Jesus that they see the power of his love displayed. And because of that, the church sees Christ. And now there's a unification of cultures and freedom that we do not need to be a certain way. And that is the gospel freedom and community that y'all bring. There's beauty of what we do as a body in Christ. Refuge Church, what you guys are doing and representing and gathering of all nations. Look at this room. All nations. There's freedom and beauty to what you guys are doing. And that is the beauty of you guys gathering together. That your physical presence in each other's lives and the cultural aspect of who you are and the freedom that we now get to live in the power of the gospel that points each other to Christ. That I could see my brother Tremaine worship God and, and worship and, and be able to see his hands lifted high or him clapping. And in my heart, it is filled with joy because I'm able to witness him 
worshiping the Lord. That you gathering here on Sunday mornings points your neighbor to Christ. The singing together points each other to Christ. The listening of God's word points each other to Christ. The discipleship in life together points each other to Christ. That you gathering together in community groups points each other to Christ. We gather together as saints in your presence of unity that we are able to experience as a church is the very beauty of the body being displayed. And that is why it's so important that you guys gather together. That's the implications of what's happening as you gather together. It's important. The unity, the beauty of Christ, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Man, about a month ago, um, Josh and, and me and, and Tori, the pastor at the well, and Rob, who's a pastor in Dallas, we got to do an association meeting in the middle of Waco. I don't know if Josh has told you that story. If you guys want to hear the crazy story, listen. Listen, we're like, it's a, it's a Mexican man, an Asian man, uh, Toru, who's, who's half black, half white, and a black man in a town in Waco in like Heritage Farms. I don't know what that is. It's like a cult. Um, and we're in this town with uh, like one of the most like weirdest, like Amish, like white culture places and we're here, and we're, like, drinking coffee and doing these things. And here's the thing, man. It's how does an, a Mexican-Asian black person from Oak Cliff, a black person from Detroit, gather together? And ethnically, we're so different, but culturally, we're different as well. And the whole time, there's beauty to us constantly pointing to each other, to Christ, that filled my soul, that would give me stamina to run this race. Because the whole time, here's the thing. Right? Josh has so much joy. And because of his joy and his heart for you guys, it encouraged my soul. And there's something about meeting together that begins to point us to Christ. The gospel freedom and community says that we are welcome. There's beauty to the church. The vision of refuge is this. We value diversity, ethnic, culturally, and generational, knowing that diversity displays the unifying work of Jesus in the life of the believer, which in return, this is me, made, this is me paraphrasing the last part, which in return then gives us the power to impact the world. That's your statement. I took that off your website. That is my prayer through Refuge Church, that you guys understand the unique calling you have to impact the city of Austin, that because of the gospel that you guys live in freedom, because of the identity you guys live in freedom, there's freedom in identity and freedom in community. Paul is saying, he's using weird language here, right? Paul is listing three brothers who are pillars of the faith, James, Cephas, also known as Peter, and John. And look at what he says. He says, they gave me fellowship. Why? He says, because of the grace that was given to me. They recognize the grace. And think about this for a second. Paul could have inserted anything here. He could have said my accolades, right? That I studied under the best scholar. He could have said they accepted me because of my knowledge of the law or my passion or my good looks. I don't think Paul was good looking, but my good looks or because they fear me. But what does he say? No, he says the grace. 
Paul here says he was commissioned by what? By grace. Paul understood that it was the work of Jesus Christ in his life that now he gets to live for something greater. That it's the work of Jesus, the authority of the work of Jesus. Paul is reminding the Christians in Galatians of the power of Jesus. That he was someone who was once a persecutor of the church. That he was sent on a road to Damascus to kill Christians. And on that road, he encounters the living Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. How many people do you think pray that Paul would die? I don't know. Like if somebody was persecuting the church and I knew that, it's like, man, God, do something with that guy. And Jesus encounters him. And he could have easily just been like, Saul, you're done. Boom. And that's what he thought was going to happen. But he, but he was an enemy. But instead of utterly, what does Jesus do? He gives him grace and calls him to be an apostle. Paul, who probably lived a life always having to prove himself to others and find his identity, the gospel sets him free. Because he encounters Jesus, gospel freedom and identity. And then he goes on to say what? And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas. Some gospel freedom in community. And if all of this is true, they only asked me to remember the poor. And I was like really wrestling with this. I was going to, this is like one of those verses that I was like, uh, yeah, you know what? I don't need to preach on, like, I'll, I'll just leave that, you know, and kind of move on. But I, I was dwelling on it. And here are the apostles who are now able to impact the city. The call and mission of the early church was to remember the poor. Why insert this here now? It seems out of place. It's because Paul is reminding the church that we now live in the freedom of mission because of the work of Jesus who himself, who empties himself, what, to become poor. That Jesus was calling and was, he became um, one of the least of these. That he would become man and physically become poor and come into this world to bear the weight of our sin. To go to the cross and die. Bearing all of our sin. And through the just penalty and in, in, in full by dying on the third day that Jesus would conquer sin and death by resurrecting from the dead. That if we put our faith in him, we as his people become what? Justified. And here's the thing. If you really understand the gospel and gospel identity and gospel community, you understand that we are, that, we are the poor. We who were poor. Because of the blood of Jesus, what become rich? That we now have the freedom to go and remember the poor and have the power and freedom to impact the world. That we as a church are the powerful demonstration of the grace of God that gives us freedom to love. And Refuge Church, that's my prayer. Is that this is so ingrained, so much freedom in your identity, so much freedom in the community that you're accepted and loved as you are in this room, that you guys will understand the power of the mission to go and proclaim this good news. That we as God's people get to live in the freedom and the power of the gospel to live on mission for the kingdom. Refugees, let the gospel give you freedom. 
Friends, live in that. Begin to push back darkness here in South Austin because of the freedom that the gospel gives you. That's the joy. That's the joy. That we get to live in gospel freedom in your identity, gospel freedom in our community that gives us the power to do missions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for, man, I'm just so deeply encouraged. I'm so deeply encouraged that this morning that we are gathered here together and I'm able to see this congregation and these people and I can see and witness the gospel transformation that begins to happen. And because of that, I'm so deeply encouraged that my heart is filled with joy. That seeing my brothers and sisters here in this room, that I'm able to begin to experience your gospel more and more because of the freedom that it produces. Father, I pray that we will live in the freedom that your son accomplished everything on that cross. And that is enough. Let us live in that freedom. Let us find joy in that freedom that we begin to be a community that begins to change freedom that it gives to one another. And let, that, let us live on mission for your gospel, knowing that it is better than all things. Father, we thank you for this time. We love you and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.